0: What determines someone's worth? What if they're young, dependent, inconvenient? Or what if they walk or talk differently?
1: Does that change it? What if they have different color hair or skin
0: what if this person is anxious or sick or even questioning their own life is my life more valuable than theirs who determines that All right, well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. Uh, We are in, as Pastor Dave mentioned, week two of our series, Dignity, They Equals Me. Now, last week, Pastor Dave beautifully uh, started our series by focusing on mental health issues. And today, we're going to talk about dignity as it relates to people touched by disabilities and special needs. And so I'm very excited for this message uh, because I am joined by my beautiful bride, Amanda, uh, over here who's going to provide some, uh, some important color to this uh, really important topic. So to set the stage this morning, we'd like to share a beautiful story in the ninth chapter of John's Gospel, which speaks to that issue of special needs. In this story, Jesus meets a man born blind and makes a powerful declaration.
1: As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, Who sinned that this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him.
0: All right, would you join me in prayer as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, Lord. We thank you that you are our Creator, the one who made us in your image, who loves us, and who gives us good things which come down from you, Lord. And Father, as we approach this really important topic this morning, I ask that you would soften our hearts, open our eyes, and give us a passion that you would get the glory for all that we do. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, since Amanda's joining me this morning, I would like to introduce you to the rest of our family. You can see a picture of us here. Uh, This was a photo we took last fall. Uh, You can see our daughter in there, Jenna Joy. She's on the left. Uh, She is four years old full of life, and possesses a very tender heart. Now, on the right is our son, Josiah, who was born this past June. As many of you know, Josiah was born with some physical special needs. Some of those needs include absent thumbs, some skeletal limb anomalies, a cleft palate, which causes feeding issues, and a rare bone marrow disorder that requires a transplant later this year. But he is incredibly cute. (laughs)
1: Bob didn't mention that I grew up in Southern California, and he somehow convinced me to move to New Jersey eight years ago. There are many things that I miss about California, but one I was really happy to leave behind were the wildfires. These have become a common occurrence where I grew up. Seemingly out of nowhere, a spark can ignite a devastating fire affecting millions of people. Flames have come close to my aunt's house many times. These fires can, come, can transform people's lives. Watching your house go up in flames is a scary reality. This is how we felt when we got the news about Josiah's potential diagnosis. At 12 weeks, we went in for our ultrasound, a certain finding raised questions that our son could have a genetic abnormality. No other information was known at that time, leaving our minds to run rampant about any possibilities. The fear was real and the unknowns were great. I remember feeling like our lives were about to completely change. With tears running down my face, I tried to listen to what the physician was telling me as he pointed to the abnormal finding on the screen. I remember these words. Normal babies have this and your baby has this. I could hardly breathe. It felt like the flames were consuming me and I was not going to get out of life. How could this happen to us? From that moment on, we knew life would not be the same.
0: Now, if you're someone touched by special needs and disabilities, that statement likely resonates with you. Our lives would be changed forever. Now, while every special needs story is different, we're certainly going to share ours this morning. Not all of them are the same. An altered life trajectory is an experience we all share. From that moment on, every prenatal visit brought more challenges. And we hoped and we prayed, but it seemed like every time we went in we only received bad news. And so thoughts flooded through my mind, like, what will our changes be? How will this affect our daughter? Lord, I didn't sign up for this. How can it how can it be? And in those moments I resonated more deeply with what Paul wrote in Romans eight. He said, for we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This world is not as it should be. Creation groans, it longs for redemption, because everything is touched by the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. And all I could think was, my son will experience this in a very tangible way. But God directed me to another section of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2. And here Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now in this context, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and exhorting them to have a much different view of the world shaped by the theological foundations he has just shared in the letter. In fact, if you were with us last spring, you know we went through Paul's letter in great detail. God was teaching me, through my son, that I need a Romans 12 mindset. Don't view him as the world does. See him through God's eyes. Don't view him as the world does. See him through God's eyes. Now, I spoke with a friend recently who also has a special needs son, and he offered a a helpful illustration. So, imagine... You board a plane, and you think the plane is bound for Florida. Now, Amanda loves the beach, and if I were to come up and tell her that I was going to buy her a ticket to Florida today, she would say, sign me up, right? Yeah, okay, there we go. Well, when you're going to a warm place like Florida, you have to pack certain items, right? For example, you might pack a beach chair or an umbrella or a towel because you anticipate going to the beach, you have a certain expectation of what will happen.
1: However, <clears throat> imagine that when your plane lands, you discover that you have not landed in Florida, but in a very cold place, place like Nova Scotia. Your beach chair is now worthless because it's cold. Here's what our friend said. There is beauty in Nova Scotia. You're, even though you expected to land in Florida, and that is what it's like when you have a special needs child, There is beauty even if you were not expecting it. I suspect some of us listening now know this feeling well. Life felt like you were on a plane heading to Florida. Then a storm came through, the plane changed course, and you landed in Nova Scotia. In a panic, you've cried, why God? Why did this happen? It's hard to see the purpose immediately. Our perspective on this new reality required an altered mindset. Only then could we see the beauty that God was providing to us with our son. We needed to recognize that he was made in God's image, and because of that, he has worth and value. We are talking about dignity and the worth of every human life in this series, and let's ask the question, what is dignity? Dignity is the, the quality or state of being worthy, honored, or esteemed. We need to see the people touched by special needs and disabilities as God sees them. Beautiful. All people are made in the image of God, and that is where we find our dignity and worth, nothing else.
0: Now, a woman named Stephanie Hubach wrote a fantastic book entitled, Same Lake, Different Boats, coming alongside people touched by disability. And many ideas that we present today are shaped by this book because it's really excellent. I encourage you to pick it up and read it. She knows what she's talking about because she has a son with Down syndrome. Here's what she writes She says, Learning to see God's image helps us to keep our perspective by focusing on the potential in every person rather than focusing on limitations. It also aids us in emphasizing what matters most a person's dignity, not their abilities or disabilities. Now, when it comes to people touched by special needs and disabilities, If we're honest, we tend to look at their limits. This devalues a person, and it can lead to not treating them with dignity. And so in order to treat people with that dignity we're talking about, we need to have a proper worldview, and so Hubach lays out three lenses to view disability. The first lens is what she calls the historical view. People who take this view see disability as an abnormal part of life in a normal world. In other words, people with special needs and disabilities are viewed as aberrations. They're people outside the mainstream. And if you take that view, you might say things like, well, what's wrong with them? Right? Do they have a birth defect? The historical view focuses entirely on the distinctive negative characteristics of a person and very little on our shared personhood. And if we've thought this way, or we've said demeaning words... We should heed the charge that James gives in his letter. With our tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing, my brothers and sisters, he says, this should not be. Now, a second and currently popular perspective is the postmodern view. And in the postmodern view, disability is a normal part of life in a normal world. And those who advocate for this view are averse to labeling anything or anyone in a neighbor, in a, excuse me, in a negative light, and that's a noble desire. We want to celebrate the individual. Unfortunately, it can lead to celebrating the diagnosis instead of the person. Let me give you an illustration. Just imagine if, after Josiah was born, the doctor came into Amanda's room and uh, you know explained the diagnosis and then said, you know, isn't this great, right? I'm so glad for your son's diagnosis. It couldn't have happened to a nicer family. I wish it was me. Do you see the ramifications of the postmodern view?
1: Instead, the third biblical perspective offers us a correct worldview. The biblical view says that disability is a normal part of life in an abnormal world. Do you see the difference? As Christians, we understand the reality of sin's impact. We know life is not as it should be, and that is what Pastor Dave was talking about last week when he discussed the influence of the fall in our redemption story. Indeed, disability is a normal part of life in a fallen world. People with special needs are not abnormal. They are created in the image of God. This is the wor- it, it is the world that is abnormal, which is why Paul writes in Romans 8 that creation is groaning, Hubach writes, disability is essentially a more noticeable form of brokenness that, has a co- that is common to the human experience, a normal part of life in an abnormal world. All people are made in the image of God, and all people have dignity and worth. For the rest of our time, we would like to share with you what we have learned about dignity and worth through our son. One of our good friends shared a profound thought. She said, this is a journey of both gratitude and grief. Gratitude, because you will be blessed in ways you never imagined. And grief, because there will be heart-wrenching moments along the way. To see the dignity and worth of those touched by disabilities and special needs, we need to learn three lessons. The first one is gratitude. We must see others in the light of the gospel. The second one is grief. We must emphasize with empathize with others in our suffering. We would add a third point, which would be glory, and we would worship God through it all. So, first,
0: discovering dignity and worth in those with special needs requires gratitude. And so, I recall these words of the psalmist who wrote this children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from Him. Now, other translations say that children are a gift, they are a reward. It doesn't matter that my son has some medical needs. He is a gift. And what God wants for me is to cultivate in my heart a heart of gratitude. Now, I know it doesn't feel that way at first. But it's natural to think, Lord, why me? But as God grows you, the truth of Romans 8.28 becomes much more clear. Biblical faith shows us that two things can be true at the same time. Life is hard and God is good. So raising our son will have its challenges, but he is a gift, and God has the power to work all things together for the good of those who love him. Now truthfully, Josiah has taught me more than I could have ever imagined about the love of God in just six months. He's helped me to see a a greater depth of the gospel, and so don't miss this, church. When we see each other in the light of the gospel, we recognize that all of us have disabilities and special needs. Some are just more visible than others. So what has God shown us through Josiah? Well, first I would say he's shown me that I need to be rescued. And so it's easy to think that someone who has a disability, someone who has a special need, requires rescuing. And indeed, if you're someone touched by disabilities or special needs, you know you need to be rescued, and we can learn from them. When you see them in the light of the gospel, it is a reminder that I need rescuing too. What does Paul write to the church in Ephesus? He says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a truth. Do you see what Paul's saying here? That too often we think the problem is with the other person. He or she has a special need. But in reality, I have a special need too. I was dead. I was a, a child of wrath. Josiah and I have the same problem. We need to be rescued by our great God. How does Paul finish? He says this, But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, (laughs) but God, but God, by grace, you have been saved. That's the gospel. And our response has to be gratitude. And when we see others in the light of the gospel, it will produce gratitude that leads to an attitude shift. And so, the second thing that Josiah has taught me is humility. When we interact with others from a posture of humility, we can't devalue them. After all, who am I to think that I'm better than someone else? Paul says this to the church in Rome. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And so if I see myself and others in the light of the gospel through the lens of grace, I will see myself with sober judgment. Now, what is sober judgment? It means to think sensibly with respect to others. And so the reason we devalue people who are different than us, like people with special needs, is because we are filled with pride. And when we're filled with pride, we don't offer respect. Paul reminds us here of who we are and how we should think of ourselves.
1: Josiah has taught me that all people have different giftings. Paul emphasizes this point in Romans 12, verse 4 through 6. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that dim- differ according to the grace given to us. When we use the phrase disability, we seem to emphasize that the person does not have abilities, but they do. Paul says that all of us have different abilities. Josiah will have different and unique gifts from me and Bob. He will have different and unique gifts from Jenna. Instead of focusing on what he can't do, I've been amazed at what he can do, despite the challenges in front of him. Watch this video.
0: Yeah, for a couple seconds. That's
1: yes, what the word says. yes. Right. Hi, buddy. And do they say when he gets? Look at him! Look out. at his musical. I'm to be in the picture too. <laughs> oh, Hi, you. handsome. Hi. Hi, We're gonna let you go. Oh. oh. Okay. <laughs> Not push back too much. Hi, honey. <laughs> Hi. Hi, sweetie. Hi. Yeah, for a couple
0: seconds.
1: Every obstacle he overcomes causes me gratitude. I see the beauty in his life. Every person adds beauty to this world, and everyone needs grace, and they should be respected as a fellow image-bearer.
0: Now, I love that image that Stephanie Hubach uses for her book, Same Lake, Different Boats. Because there's a standard saying out there that goes, we're all in the same boat. But that's actually not correct. It's more accurate to say that we're all floating in the same lake, but we each have our own boat that we float on. And when you think about it that way, it's, it's easier to understand somebody with special needs because, again, the reality is we all have disabilities. Some are just more visible than others. We're in the same lake but a different boat.
1: Additionally, we have seen God answer our prayers and people be generous in amazing ways. After Josiah was born and the meds wore off, Bob and I went up to his room in the NICU I was still pretty out of it from the C-section, so they wheeled me in next to him. As I sat up looking at my lifeless baby boy inside of a bubble, I felt intense emotion. He wasn't breathing on his own. He had tubes everywhere. His skin was pale and flaccid, and his lips were purple. The medical team started to give us report of his condition, and I was so overwhelmed that I fainted. When I came to, I realized how close Josiah was to death those first 12 hours. By the next morning, I also realized how much more God wanted him here on this earth. In 24 hours, his body was doing the work it needed to in order to sustain life. The doctor said he could go either way. So we prayed, and we had everyone we knew pray, and we even had some of you and others stand outside our hospital room praying out loud for God to heal Josiah and give him life. We witnessed a miracle that day. God saved our son. He saved him from the edges of death for such a time as this, only because of his grace. Life is a gift. Is, his life is a gift of God's grace.
0: Life is a gift. And we, our response must be gratitude. So again, this series is on the dignity and worth of humanity, every human being. And if you believe in the value of life, you likely describe yourself as pro-life. But too often, we limit that to one issue, the issue of the unborn. And it's an important issue, and in week four of this series, we will talk about that. But I want to make the case today that if we say we are pro-life, we must care about people with special needs. Because if we care about the sanctity of human life, we must care about people and families touched by disabilities. Why? Because many people in this situation don't choose life, just honestly. There are countries in this world that are trying to eradicate children with disabilities through genetic screening before they're even born. So imagine if you're a young couple who walks into an early ultrasound and you get the news that your child might have a physical or a mental challenge... It's daunting. And if you don't have somebody to walk with you through it, you might just say, you know what, it's too hard, I can't handle it. In fact, in our prenatal visits, we were asked if we wanted to end the pregnancy. And every time they brought it up, we looked in the doctor's eyes and we said, absolutely not. This is our son, and his life is valuable. And if you're someone here today or you're somebody listening today who's been touched by special needs, let me just say, your life is valuable But sometimes when you choose life, the road is not easy, and it leads to a feeling of grief, and that is point number two.
1: We need to empathize with others in their suffering. We need to especially come alongside families who have made the choice of life even knowing it won't be easy. Romans 12, again, captures beautifully the tension of what people in grief can experience. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When a child is born with a disability, there can be a tug of war in your heart that is not easy to wrestle with. I rejoice because the Lord has blessed us with a child, a beautiful baby. Children are a gift from the Lord. Thank you. But one of the oddest feelings is to simultaneously weep because you know your child might struggle in some areas. I rejoice when Josiah looks up at me and smiles. He is so beautiful. And I weep when I see him struggle. The call for the church is to rejoice and weep.
0: Now, do you remember that image we gave you at the beginning of the message, the plane trip? You got on the plane and you expected to go to Florida, but you wound up in Nova Scotia. Yes, there is beauty in both places, but it can be a journey and it takes time to find beauty in Nova Scotia when all you wanted was Florida. And on top of all that, if you're in Nova Scotia, you probably don't have a coat because you packed for Florida. It's freezing. It's scary. It's, it's sad. And you're weeping over that loss of Florida. Even though there's beauty there, it takes time to recognize beauty in the midst of grief. Hubach makes this astute observation. She says, for most of us, disability is only a normal part of life if it is in somebody else's world. The presence of disability causes families to come face-to-face with some of the harsh realities of the fall that they might have successfully evaded before. And one of those issues is grief. Consider the types of loss and grief that those affected by disabilities experience. First there might be a loss of capacity. And if you're somebody touched by disability later in life, this is certainly true. Right? Maybe an accident has left you not as mobile as you once were. Maybe somebody you love is diagnosed with a disease like dementia and you have to watch the person you once knew fade away. There's tremendous loss and grief.
1: Loss of certain hopes and dreams. When you find out you are pregnant, and then you choose to find out if you're having a girl or a boy, there are hopes and dreams that are naturally formed. We had a picture of what Josiah's life would be when we first found out I was pregnant, but God had different plans. As we were struggling, the best piece of advice we received from a friend was going to grief counseling. He said, you need to grieve the loss of your dream. Only then can you have a new dream.
0: Now, another type of loss is the loss of perceived control, and I say perceived control because in reality, none of us are in control. God is, and that's a great struggle for me because I like to be five steps ahead of the problem, especially when it comes to protecting our children, and it's a scary feeling that you realize there's nothing you can do. There are some things that Josiah just has to overcome on his own. And when the challenge and the grief become intense, it leads to what I'll call an I-can't-do-this moment. Amanda and I have each had our own I-can't-do-this moments. For me, it was the first week when we brought Josiah home from the hospital. I'd barely slept in several days. We had this feeding pump that was beeping obnoxiously every 90 minutes. And I remember crying out to God, I can't do this.
1: My, I can't do this moment, came earlier than Bob's. We were at our 24-week ultrasound. His little bones were forming in his arms, legs, and hands, and I could tell on the screen that something wasn't right with his hands. They were trying to find something because it was taking a while. When the uh, ultrasound was finished, the tech brought the doctor in, and it felt like all they did was tell me what physical parts of his body were not normal. All I heard was shortened leg bone, missing forearms, uh, no thumbs, fixed wrists, possibly no fingers. I was devastated and absolutely heartbroken. When the doctor stepped out of the room, I turned to Bob with flowing tears of fear and a panic, and I said, I don't think I can do this. That moment was too much for my mind to handle, and the hypotheticals were going a mile a minute, and I could not get a grip on reality because my reality was shattered. I feel like that, Amanda, has been brought through the fire. It reminds me of California wildfires. They bring crisis that can redirect your life, and God has taught me a lot about grief and loss.
0: Now here's some things we've personally learned along this short journey. First. We need to weep like a psalmist. (laughs) Now, Amanda will tell you that she's the crier out of the two of us, and and that's true. Um, But we both had moments of tears as we have prayed the psalms. Psalms like 22, verses 1 and 2, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest.
1: Psalm 25, 16 through 17. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress.
0: Psalm 28, 1 to 2. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help and when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. See, tears are good. You need to release them to the Lord, and he meets you in your struggle. But you can't go through the struggle alone. We need a community present in our afflictions.
1: We have been so blown away by how many people have stepped up to help us. Thank you for your generosity. Every now and then, we will find an envelope addressed to us for no specific reason other than to offer prayer or financial support or assistance. One time, I received a check, and I just wept as I hugged Bob because I knew that those moments are the ones that you know were orchestrated specifically by God and his providence. There is no other explanation. Also, every Friday night, we have people that are committed to pray with us. We feel so loved by the body of Christ. When wildfires strike California, there is a group of people who rush out to hold off the flames. The firefighters. Men and women who risk their lives to hold back the flames to protect the vulnerable. That is what it's like when a community of faith stands in the gap for people with special needs. They hold back the flames and keep a family from getting seared.
0: Now, every family has needs when raising a child. But there is an extra degree of need when it comes to raising a child with special needs. So Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For each will have to bear his own load. Now in this context, load is something a person can carry on their own, but a burden requires more help. And so the person or family with special needs carries an extra burden and they need help. Consider some of the extra needs. First, there's medical needs, right? In some cases, the medical needs are extraordinary. Multiple surgeries, home medical equipment, specialty medications that require hours on the phone arguing with insurance companies to get approved. And those medical needs are not not cheap, so there's financial needs, right? And one spouse, in some cases, might not even be able to, to work anymore, and so there's a loss of income. There's also concerns for the future, Because in other cases, the child might never achieve independence, and so the parents need to think about how to care for the adult child after they pass away. And then there's just straight-up stress and exhaustion, which can lead to parent fatigue. It also adds stress on other children in the family system, because the stress of a child without extra needs is challenging, but a child with extra needs can feel overwhelming at times. In 2004, the New York Times did a study on aging which focused on mothers of children with disabilities. Scientists evaluated the effects of the stress-filled lifestyle on their DNA and compared it to mothers of children without disabilities. And the conclusion was this, mothers of children with special needs showed damage to their DNA that was equivalent to a 10-year shorter lifespan, which was pretty astounding
1: In our situation, I've had to call 911 several times. Insurance calls and claims are a weekly occurrence. From a personal care perspective, it takes about 45 minutes for Josiah to bathe because of his tubes and positioning. I am Josiah's advocate 90% of the time, every day, because people look at him and think, oh, he looks so good, he's fine. My job is to make them aware that he is not fine. He is a very complicated and fragile baby boy who needs to be paid attention to. Time management, there is never enough time. There is a level of social isolation due to Josiah's limits on where he can go and what he can do. And this affects the whole family, not just him.
0: So church... There is an opportunity for us here to step up and reach people in a very big way. Now, maybe you're listening today and you say, I want to help out with this. Or maybe even as you're listening to this, you say, I have the capacity to adopt a special needs child into my family. We'll, we'll have some resources for that in the follow-up uh, to this message. But we want you to know, and we, want you, and we want to thank those of you that have assisted us. We are blown away by your generosity and sacrifice. And what I've been thinking as I put that before you is, could we do it for others? I came across this profound quote recently by a guy named Tristan Gilbert. He says, knowledge is knowing, understanding is knowing what to do, wisdom is knowing what to do next, and virtue is actually doing it. So can we do it? If you're interested in joining a team here at NBC to dream about increasing our ministry to special needs, I would ask you to contact me because I think there is tremendous potential here for outreach and impact. All we need is a people with a heart for this special group because as we reach out and serve the marginalized, people will notice and God will get the glory. And that's our last point, God's glory.
1: Before Josiah was born, we had several miscarriages. And then a friend of ours prayed for us and said that we would have a son. Josiah is here because God wants him to be. Another, after one ultrasound, I turned to Bob and I asked him why God would allow this to happen to our son. And he shared these verses about Jesus' heart for special needs that we, read, that we read at the beginning of the message. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. John 9.
0: Did you notice how the disciples responded to this man's disability? They essentially asked, what's wrong with him? What did he do that caused him to be cursed like this? And Jesus turns to them and just says, you're asking the wrong question. This man is here to bring glory to God. And of course, then, Jesus heals the man so that the people could see how powerful God is. But I shared that scripture with Amanda because it is a testament that God looks beyond the disability to the person. God doesn't look at our son and see him as disabled. He looks at him and sees him as a vessel for his glory. And he wants Josiah to worship him just like he wants me to worship him. It is a privilege to raise our son to know Jesus. And at the end of the day, God uses people with perceived weaknesses to shame the strong. Remember what Paul writes to the church in Corinth? He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth." But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So did you hear what he said? He said, you may think that you're influential and powerful. You may think that you're God's gift to the world, but you're not. Everything you have comes from God, he says. I purposely," God says, use the weak to shame the strong. That's how it works in my kingdom. The weaker you are, the stronger God is. And so we firmly believe that God will use our son to bring him glory. Whatever perceived weaknesses he has can be used to shame others in a good way. The reality is that he is strong. And we look at all he's accomplished in just six months. It is, ama- it is an amazing testament to the power of God. All glory to him. And so God has used Josiah to grow us, to give us greater faith, and to humble us in worship of him. And personally, God has used him to change my heart. Because you can't fully understand what it's like to walk this path until you experienced it. I will grow in my holiness as a result of this. All I could do was fall on my face and cry out to God.
1: God has changed our family story. Our Facebook group has turned into a beautiful community of people that are walking alongside us to navigate this life. Jenna has learned about a deeper love of a person and completely embraced it with her whole heart.
0: And who knows how God can move our church if we catch this vision of valuing and and the dignity and worth of people with special needs. Do you remember that man that was born blind in John 9? Well, later in the story, after Jesus healed him, the people in town didn't believe him, and they threw him out of town. And then Jesus goes looking for this man again because Jesus didn't see him as somebody with a disability. He saw him as a person with dignity. Do we see that in people? We need to see the church as a hospital for the sick, and we need to value every human life. As author Russell Moore puts it, our pro-life witness ought to be seen in our Sunday schools filled with children with fetal alcohol syndrome and autism and cerebral palsy and AIDS who are hugged and loved and received because we see in them Jesus and because we embrace a gospel that told us a long time ago that life is better than death. Amen? We, are, we have a God who values life and who defeated death. And it's all about worship of Him so He can get the glory, so we can see Him as beautiful. Because when we worship God, we will see the world as He sees the world. And we will treat all people with dignity and worth because all people are made in the image of God.
1: We would like to close by sharing a children's book that a dear friend sent to us. I read this book to Jenna often to teach her its message. It's called Different is Awesome. In this story, a young boy needs to bring something for show-and-tell. And he decides to bring his brother who was born with special needs. He is missing his left arm and throughout the story the kids in the class are all amazed by what the little boy's brother can do but the story also highlights the differences each person has. Look how the story ends. I was glad my brother came to show and tell. He looks a little different than most of us, but we're all a little different somehow, aren't we? I looked at my friends who were sitting around my brother. They liked him a lot, but not as much as I do. I noticed that June was short, and Sam was tall, Anna had curly blonde hair, and Joey had red hair, and Claire had a birthmark, and Noah wore glasses. Jack had green eyes, and Charlie had dark skin. Martin had a cast, and Billy was missing his two front teeth. And me, I have freckles. Everyone is different, and do you know what I think? Being different is awesome.
0: We'd invite the worship team to come back on stage for one more song. And as they come, I would just say that when you recognize that being different is awesome, you give people the dignity and worth they are owed as image bearers of God. We're all in the same lake, but a different boat. And until Jesus returns, he calls each of us, no matter our disability, to surrender to him and to trust him every day. And as we look forward to the future, where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain when the old order of things has passed away, we look forward to the day when we will have new bodies and new life in a new heavens and a new earth. And until that time, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And until then, we will treat all people with dignity. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would move on our hearts today, Lord. Some that are listening today, maybe you soften them to people that they're interacting with, Lord. That maybe we haven't treated people with special needs and disabilities with dignity, Lord. Would you help us? Would you grow our faith? Would you help us to empathize with people when they're suffering, Lord? Maybe some of us listening today say... That's a challenge that you're putting on my heart. I want to go be involved and help people that are wrestling with this. Or I, I actually am called to, to adopt someone and bring them into, into our home because they need to be loved. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're a God who loves us and who cares for us. A God who made us in your image. And because of that, we have value and worth. So we praise you, Lord, and we give this time to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.